Now it's on. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon leap like a calf, Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord strikes with flashes of lightning. The voice of the Lord shakes the desert. The Lord shakes the desert of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord twists the oaks and strips the forests bare. And in his temple all cry glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord is enthroned as king forever. The Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. Thank you, Gemma. That's our psalm reading for this morning. Well, good morning. Welcome to church this morning. We're very echoey. Sound like we're in a tunnel or somewhere, don't we? Uh, that's probably Josh. He's, um, he likes to set it up in a, a young person's manner. You know, you've got to keep it dark, bits of smoke, and uh, get it echoey and gets the right mood, I'm sure. Anyway, um, great to have you with us this morning. Good that uh, you could join us this morning on this um, spring morning. It's a beautiful day outside. Uh, hopefully um, you were able to take part in some of the carnival celebrations yesterday, uh, but glad you could make it to church this morning. There is uh, a few bags that's almost like show bags, like carnival show bags down the back on the table. If you're new to our service this morning, you're very welcome to grab one on the way out. Some interesting things in there, a few gifts and a little bit of information about the church in general. Connect with us uh, during the week. Uh, there are a number of different ways and avenues that you can connect. There is a card on your chair that uh, allows you to get connected. Uh, take a look at that uh, as you can this morning as well. And uh, you will be able to put yourself on the list to get the work church weekly email. And uh, that has lots of uh, detail and interesting stuff that might be of help to you. Right now, though, we're going to move into the verse of the month. Um, this is uh, following on our continued year of uh, being uh, interested in what the Word has to say to us. This verse comes from 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23. Can we all say it together? Let's go back to school and let's get into gear and liven up and waken up. We're going to say the, uh, the verse, uh, where it comes from. We'll repeat the verse and then we'll say the, uh, the place where it comes from again. Okay, so let's go. 1 Peter 1, 23. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. 1 Peter 1.23. You see how I changed that up for you? Get your toes. I said 1 Peter and then 1 Peter. Uh, only because I thought I was wrong saying 1 Peter in the first place. But <laughs> anyway, uh, a verse well worth uh, remembering. And there are cards around, I think, too, that have all these verses listed if you'd like to take that home with you. Basic Youth is in recess at the moment. Um, so Basic Youth, you're on holidays, uh, both from school and from youth group. I was just looking at that uh, array of, um, of faces up there. It looks like a police uh, line-up, doesn't it? Um, keep note of those people. Stay away from them. Be careful. The Global Leadership Summit, as, uh, ev as it happens every year, is happening uh, this year again on the 11th of 12th, fast approaching that date, uh, out at the Hume Ridge Church. And uh, if you'd like to know more about it, um, it'll be uh, talked about in that church weekly emails. So have a look there. A special welcome. A special welcome to Brent, Jane and Joshua. Joshua's got his eyes planted on me. He knows a good-looking rooster when he sees one. Good on you. Welcome to our church this morning. And we look forward to getting to know you later on in a, a, an interview with uh, Pastor John later on in the service as well. So stay for lunch and catch up with them as you can later on this morning. Special partners meeting is happening next Sunday after church. So uh, there will be an email or has been an email sent to the partners already. So if you can do that, please stay for that uh, next weekend. 
You're invited to Vision Dinner 2019, happening on the 9th of November. Uh, look out for the invitations coming in the mail as well. So Vision Dinner for this year, 2019. After the service, stick around, have a coffee and uh, catch up with someone uh, that you haven't spoken to in a while. Okay, um, just before we do pray, but as you can see, we're praying for those sharing the faith cross-culturally. In old uh, language, that's overseas missionaries, I believe. So um, we're going to pray for that. But um, when you think of someone who has a friendly smile, a uh, jovial demeanour, a uh, she's talented. She's a talented musician. Younger than me, that narrows it down, doesn't it? Uh, obviously, I said she, so she's a female. Is there anyone to think of? I think of Emma Hoey. And I'm going to invite Emma Hoey, because this is the last Sunday for quite some time, to come on up here, Emma. We're going to just uh, ask her, uh, give her a bit of a chance to tell her what she's up to. Morning, Emma. Uh, Emma's leaving next Saturday, and uh, she's going away. She won't be with us for some six months, is that right? Yeah. Seven months. Where are you going, Emma? Um, well, I'm heading over to America for seven months to do a training program um, called Circuit Riders, which is a ministry of YWAM. Um, and YWAM stands for Youth with a Mission, and it's a training program for young people. Um, they have programs in a whole bunch of different countries, um, yeah, and you just learn about sharing your faith um, and really getting to know God and make him known. So I'm going to be spending three months in California um, doing some training, and then I'm actually going on tour um, with a band, because what I'm doing is will be a music-based program. And so we'll go on tour into high schools and universities and, yeah, share the gospel message there. Thank you. Sounds exciting. She covered all my questions then. So uh, I don't need to ask anymore. Uh, is there anything in particular that, uh, as that time rolls on, that we can pray for you with uh, regard to? Is just pray that God continue to lead and grow you? Is that right? Definitely. Yeah, just that God would really lead me, grow me um, in my faith, and as I share that with others, yeah. Very good. Stay there. Let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, we thank you for Emma. Uh, she's been a great uh, asset to our church in the last year or two uh, that she's been involved with us. We've seen her playing up on stage, but she's been involved with the young adults in many different ways. And we just thank you for her way and her encouraging manner. And we pray, Lord, that you would go with her and go before her as she heads over to California and gets involved in the way in which she intends to. Thank you for the YWAM course that she's going on. Uh, we pray, Lord, that it will uh, bring out what you want to bring out uh, in Emma and that she will become more the person that you want her to be. So we commit it to you, Lord, and pray that you'll keep her safe and look after her and um, teach her and grow her and show her what you want to. Father, we also think of other people overseas, Lord, or people that have been overseas. Uh, in particular, we think of... Lyndall Maxwell, uh, undergoing some very big health issues at the moment. Uh, and uh, we thank you for your hand on her. We thank you for what she's achieved through uh, your guiding and, and, and through and the way in which you've used her over there in Peru. Thank you, Lord, for what's been happening in her life lately, and we commit her to you. We pray too for Terry and Robin drawing to the close of their mission time over in Thailand. And we just commit them to you as they think about settling here in Australia again in retirement, and we pray that you would lead them on into this next little sector of their life as well. We think of Jean Claude and his wife and family, and we commit them to you over in Africa. Pray that you would continue to guide and use them, and uh, that your family here on earth would be growing as a result of, of their impact in that area. Thank you for all missionaries all over the world, Lord, that share the faith 
in you and the wonderful hope that we can have in the future to people that have not heard before. We commit them to you and ask that you would provide for them and take care of them. Thank you, Lord. Be with us for the rest of the service, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Emma. I'd like to hand over now to Sophie and crew for the Kids Talks. Hey guys, welcome back to Kids Time. How was your week? Good. Good? Let's start. All right. Not Sophie, Ross. It's Phoebe. That's close. I get that a lot though. Um, how are you guys going? Good? How are you going? You finished school? That should mean you're good. I can't hear you. How are you? Oh, that's boring. Well, hopefully you're a bit better after kids' time today. We are looking at our Superbook series that we started last week on a man named Moses. And God used Moses to lead these people called the Israelites all the way to Mount Sinai. And Moses told the people when they got there that they shouldn't touch the mountain or go near it while God was upon it. And the video didn't really explain that, so I thought I would, and it was because that God is so holy and he's without sin. So we saw the Israelites wait for 40 days while Moses went up to get the commandments from God. And we saw that these people were starting to get a bit angry, weren't they? They were sick of waiting and they decided they were going to build their own God. So we're going to see what happens next if you guys want to watch the screen. Accept me. Do not make idols that look like anything in the sky or on earth or in the ocean under the earth. You must not misuse the name of the Lord your God. The Lord will not let you go unpunished if you misuse his name. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest. Honor your father and mother. Then you will live a long, full life in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Do not murder. Be faithful in marriage. Do not steal. Do not tell lies about others. Do not desire to possess anything that belongs to another person. Not a house, a wife, a husband, a slave, an ox, a donkey, or anything else. Quick, go down the mountain. Your people whom you brought from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. Now leave me alone so my fierce anger can blaze against them, and I will destroy them. Then I will make you, Moses, into a great nation. With no rules, they forgot what's right and what's wrong!
these people are sinful and rebellious. But forgive our sin and let us be your people. Behold, I make a covenant to perform miracles for you that have never been seen anywhere on earth. Neighboring nations will stand in fear and know that I was the one who did these marvelous things. But you must do what I command you today. has forgiven his people. Now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the judgments which I teach you to observe, that you may live and go in and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers is giving you. The Lord has told us it is now time to leave Sinai and to journey to the land of milk and honey. Last week we were learning a new verse, but this week we're going to learn a new super truth. So let's say it on the count of three. One, two, three. I, I will love God and obey his commands. Okay. What if we do it nice and quietly? Ready? One, two, three. I will love God and obey his commands. Do you reckon you can do it loudly? No? Do you reckon? We're going to do it on the count of three. I want to hear you nice and loud. Owen's covering his ears. He's ready. Are you ready? One, two, three. I will love God and obey his commands. Good work today, guys. I have a special instruction today. Can I get you to stand up? Before we go get our clipboards, do you want to go grab a seat with your parents? And we're going to do something a bit different. Pastor John's got someone new to welcome. Thank you, Phoebe. And uh, this is Brent. Give Brent. Oh, no, that's not Brent. That's Ross. <laughs> You're getting them all mixed up. <laughs> Thank you, Ross. <laughs> Thanks, mate. I'll give it to you. Now, where's Jane? Jane's down the back. He's Jane and Joshua. This is Brent. Let's give them both a big hand. That's all right. You can stay at the back. That's fine. And uh, I thought it'd be good uh, you can catch up and ask questions and get to know them both over lunch. So hopefully you can stay and enjoy the finger food over lunch after the service. But uh, I thought it'd be good to just get to know you a little bit. So I've got some questions here for you. Where were you born and where did you grow up? Where was I born? I was born in Brisbane, um, but I grew up in Toowoomba, so I, um, my, I have a twin sister. We were born eight weeks preemie, and so we were born in the hospital in Brisbane, but um, otherwise have lived in Toowoomba my whole life, apart from the last three years where we've been in Brisbane um, for, the, for the job that I'm currently oh, so in. So local boy, eh? Mm. Oh. And uh, what schools did you go to, and maybe what part-time jobs have you had around sure. here that we might have seen you at? Yes. Um, well, I, so I went to Middle Ridge State School um, for primary school. And I went Anybody to... else went there? Yeah, give him a hand. A good school, eh? Yeah. Uh, and I went to Centenary Heights. Yeah. So, <laughs> which is a great school. Yes. Um, so those are the schools. Part-time jobs. I, uh, so my first, I had a paper out of sorts when I was younger and I did some cleaning. But uh, my first official part-time job was at uh, Super Cheap Auto, uh, South Toowoomba. Um, where I worked for three years um, while I was at school and then two more years uh, while I was an apprentice because I was being paid as an apprentice and so um, it was nice to have a second income at that time. So, uh, which kind of segues neatly into uh, my apprenticeship. So I did uh, my apprenticeship um, after school as an electrician. Um, I finished that and ran away from it as fast as I could. Um, it's a great trade for any electricians in the, in the, in the audience. It just wasn't, wasn't my trade, it didn't suit my personality. Um, and so then, um, I'm starting to answer some of your other questions. Anyway, 
Um, so then I um, started uh, studying at Bible College and interning at uh, South Toowoomba Baptist Church. Right, so you studied at college. So mm. if you were going to go to college, you must have come to know Jesus somewhere in that thing. So how mm. did you come to know Jesus and sure. what led up to how that happened? And then maybe you can go on, how did you end up at college and why? Right, yeah, so um, I became a Christian later in life. Uh, I, was, I was brought up in a nominal Anglican family and so my parents would say they were Anglican, but... We, we went to church a little bit when I was younger, but I kind of got the idea from that that some people went to church and some people didn't, and it was kind of cultural and that was all there was to it. But uh, when I finished high school, a friend of mine um, was diagnosed with cancer um, at 19 and was a Christian and ended up passing away from, from that 18 months or so later. Um, and I saw in him a true faith that I hadn't seen in a person before. He had a true knowledge and, and certainty about um, the afterlife that I found compelling. Um, and so at his funeral, I felt a certain weight on me to, um, to respond to that. And then uh, at his wake, um, went to sit outside, get some fresh air. Another kind of mutual friend came out and to check how I was going. And I said, oh, I'm going okay. I, I think I have to become a Christian though. Um, and he said, oh, that's great, I can tell you how to do that. Um, and so he led me through what it was to be a Christian and um, the prayer that I needed to say. And so I became a Christian at, at his wake. Um, I, w- I was talking about that weight that was on my shoulders um, at the funeral. Well, I, I still remember the, the feeling of that weight lifting, and with that went all this other weight that I didn't know I had, and I think it was... Um, God's way of showing that all the burdens I'd been carrying up till that time, I was 19 years old and so had managed to acquire all kinds of baggage Um, and so um, yeah, it felt like God said all that weight you've been carrying um, I'm going to carry now, so that's how I became a Christian which was um, really a powerful time um, in my life and then we that friend um, that I spoke about, we started looking for a church um, and we ended up, um, we tried a few different churches in town and we ended up at uh, South Toowoomba. We had a mutual friend there. Um, and also, we, we, as people who became Christians later in life, we wanted to get involved in ministry. We wanted to help in the church that we were involved in. We tried some of the larger churches and found that we couldn't really do that. Um, whereas South Toowoomba, we, we were able to be involved there. So um, we started going there. Um, and over the, I guess... I guess Pretty early on, it became clear that um, I had an affinity towards understanding and explaining the scriptures. I, that friend that led me to Christ is a mechanic, and as a mechanic, he's fairly practically minded, sometimes practically minded to a fault. And so um, there's a lady in the church that was a self-proclaimed prophet, and so she wrote him this big kind of esoteric letter. It was all about the armour of God, like, um, but really quite complicated um, to understand and so he brought this letter to me with this quizzical look on his face and kind of said I got this letter and I have no idea what it says what's it about Um, and I was kind of like oh like obviously there's some stuff there but really what she's trying to say is this and she's trying to affirm you in that and um, yeah and he he kind of said maybe maybe you should go to bible college and I thought oh um, I don't know maybe I should anyway so there was about two years after that uh, of of discerning and praying and I um, decided that it was God's will for me to go to Bible college and so I finished my apprenticeship, uh, started at, at college at Malion um, and started doing an internship at South Toowoomba, uh, South Toowoomba Baptist. So did a three-year internship there and then became associate pastor um, for one year and then um, started in the role that I'm currently in which is the Queensland Church Relationship Manager for Baptist World Aid. I have it's to say mouthful, it. Say it, it is a mouthful. <laughs> Queensland Church Relationship Manager for Baptist World Aid. I have to say it like that with those funny stutters because it used to be state representative. And so I'm used to saying that, but now I've got a new name, so I have to learn my new name. But um, And so, yeah, I've been in that job for two and a half, nearly three years now. So, mm-hmm. hmm. And tell us about your call to Toowoomba mm. and why you applied for the position here at Outlook. Sure. Yeah, I, I say to people that Toowoomba is my hometown, but it is also my spiritual home. I have um, a sense of call to Toowoomba, which is not what everyone gets. Quite often people will get calls to specific churches, um, but I feel a compelling call to Toowoomba. The, the origin of that really is in the citywide gospel movement that you may or may not know about. 
Um, and so when I was when I was a pastor here, um, I got involved in the church uh, church leadership uh, Christian leaders network. Um, and through that network, got to meet some people that were doing some really exciting things in town. They, I, I guess um, they had a vision for uh, seeing Toowoomba reach for Christ, and I grabbed onto that vision uh, at the same time. And so I feel compelled to to get involved in that vision. I think it's something I can that is tangible. At the moment, we're living in Brisbane, and our our church talks about winning Brisbane for Christ. And in my mind, it kind of I kind of go. Oh man, you know, but I, I just have a compelling passion to, to see that or to seek after that for Toowoomba. Um, and so that, I guess, is why I would say I, I have a calling to Toowoomba. Um, but I also would say I have a calling to Outlook. We, um, Jane and I, had experience in um, more conservative church that was also not very contemporary. And, and that, that was great, it was a good church, but um, we are going to River Life Baptist at the moment and we, we feel uh, as though as we seek to reach people for Christ, uh, we can do so in a church uh, more readily in a church that is contemporary, in a church that is forward moving um, and so we, I mean in a nutshell I would say that uh, my mission and vision aligns with the church's mission and vision to see people in Toowoomba and the surrounds become fully devoted followers of Christ is what I'm all about um, and um, the, the the vision of kind of Bible-based is really important, of course, as, as, a, as a good Baptist. Um, you've got to say that, but it's true too. <laughs> um, Family-friendly, we, um, we are on board with. We, we, I read a study recently that said, um, it was by Fuller Youth Institute, that said the things that keep children, and I'm looking at my child now, as so it really is important to me, the things that keeps children in Christ uh, and in, in church are... Uh, uh, cross-generational relationships and involvement in church. And, I, and so I think the, the, uh, the way that Outlook is family-friendly, the way that uh, we include children in the service, uh, is, is going about that in a way that I am really excited about. So that's something we are on board with. Um, contemporary, I mentioned, that's something that uh, Jane and I feel um, passionate about as well. Um, Outward focused is really an important element for me. Coming out of a missional background or mission background with um, Baptist World Aid, I've seen breadths of churches and there are just some churches that really are a holy club where everyone rocks up and does the thing and has the tea and goes home. But if we want to see people one for Christ, we have to actually press out instead of pressing in. We have to face outwards instead of facing inwards. And so that's something I have become more and more passionate about um, over the time that I've been with Baptist World Aid. So, um, yeah, I guess that's a bit of a long answer, but... Um, that's good. I, I yeah. gather you play an instrument just for out of interest. What you gather that, that do you? Yeah. Yes, yeah. I am a drummer. Um, I, I quipped at the back before that I usually don't tell people I'm a drummer because everyone wants a drummer. I also don't usually tell people I'm an electrician because <laughs> then they go, oh, I have ten jobs that you can do at my house. So it's like this is my ute but you can't borrow it. Right, yeah, yeah. it's much <laughs> like that. Yes, exactly, yes. I can't wear that sticker on my head though. Yeah. It would look funny, but yeah. Yes, uh, I do. I play drums, um, and so um, yeah, I've been doing that since uh, since primary school, really. But was quite passionate about it in high school. That's one of the things I really love about Centenary Heights. They got a fantastic uh, performing arts um, program. In fact, I drove past, and they've got a monstrous performing arts centre now that wasn't there previously, which looks awesome. So uh, now I'm kind of jealous, to be honest. I sort of wish I was back at school. But, um, <laughs> All right, let me finish with a question totally away from that. Tell us, uh, what do you do to relax and what hobbies mm. do you enjoy? Yes. Um, so, I have a passion for coffee. I would say that I like okay. to make and drink good coffee. Uh, I am a hobbyist, and so I don't necessarily make good coffee all the time, but I am very good at being judgy about whether coffee's good, so, um, <laughs> which is fantastic. Um, so, we'll get you to rate afterwards. Josh right, yes, that's right, it. yes. Um, and so... I think there's something with there's something about coffee, something about the ambience of cafes that I really enjoy. It's relational, it's friendly, it's relaxing, um, and so it's kind of it feels silly to say that coffee is a hobby, but it does feel like it's it's a hobby. But I also have a real hobby um, in that um, I um, try and play golf. I I always say oh, I play golf, but I don't really. I kind of fail at playing golf. That is kind of my hobby. So. Um, it's, a, it's a hobby I've picked up recently and I've learned that it takes about 30 years to actually enjoy it. So 
I, I, I guess I'm a sucker for punishment. I have no idea. Why would you pick a hobby that's so frustrating? I always um, say that it's a good way to practice Ephesians 4. In your anger, do not sin, because that is golf to a T, so, so to speak. Um, anyway, so uh, golf is, is my hobby. Great. Um, Let's thank our friend, and great to have you with us, and do... Uh, catch up now. We're going to have a say good day time. So kids, you can go get your clipboards across there to Mrs. Cox and the rest of us. Please stand and don't all mob him at once, uh, but do uh, say good day to somebody you don't know this morning and we'll continue in just a moment. Special thank you to the pastoral care team for the flowers and the lovely chocolates we received. Condolences to Janine having to put up with me after what I did to myself last weekend, but it was a great retreat. If you have your Bibles there with you, we're going to turn in just a moment to Genesis chapter 3. As you know, we're doing a series on... Uh, based on this book, Through the Bible, Through the Year. And uh, if you haven't got a copy yet, can I encourage you to grab one? Uh, you can get it online or you can buy one from Kurong. That's the hard-covered copy and the ideas we speak on the topic. And then, um, and then you can read through it and keep up to it as we do an overview of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. We start in September, although there's been a few hiccups in the system. Uh, we're looking from creation to Christ through to December. And uh, you can follow along. Last week, um, Graham very kindly jumped in and did what was to be week five and brought that forward and talked about the patriarchs. And, uh, but we're going to uh, jump back and try and pick out where we have come from. So thanks to Graham for doing that for us. Uh, a few weeks ago, we kicked off with uh, the focus on creation. And uh, every worldview and every religion uh, has an understanding of how we came to be, our origin. And uh, the Christian worldview is this, that there is a loving creator God who is a trinity of persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And in love, he created this magnificent universe and created us in his image to reflect his character. And yet we know that and we still see... Um, the result of that as we look around and as we look into the sky we see a beautiful creation and we see also great dignity and beauty and uh, and character in people's lives but at the same time as that we see something else we see incredible evil and incredible depravity and incredible horribleness if there's such a word and so every worldview or every religion needs to explain that. How, how is these two things possible? If God is a God of love and created in love, uh, how, how are things so bad at times and why are things so evil and horrible and why is there death and evil in this world? And the Bible explains that. Uh, the term we use, it's the fall, and that's what we're looking at uh, this week if you're reading the book, and uh, it has something to read, just a page a day, not too much for those of us who maybe don't like reading that much, and uh, there are some of the topics that you'll be looking at this week as you read through the book. But right now we're going to read Genesis chapter 3 and uh, see what God says of how evil, sin and death came into this beautiful creation that at the end of it, God said it's good, it's very good, and yet we don't always see it as good now. Thank you, Ross. Everybody ready? Got Genesis chapter 3? Put your hands up when you're ready. Oh, no, we won't do that. I'm reading from the New Century version, um, something I've come to enjoy, but uh, hopefully you'll follow on with your version. Now the, snake, now the snake was the most clever of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day the snake said to the woman, Did God really say that you must not eat fruit from any tree in the garden? The woman answered the snake, You may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God told us you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not even touch it 
or you will die. But the snake said to the woman, you will not die. God knows that if you eat the fruit from that tree, you will learn about good and evil and you will be like God. The woman saw that the tree was beautiful, that its fruit was good to eat and that it would make her wise. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some of the fruit to her husband, and he ate it. Then it was as if their eyes were open. They realised they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made something to cover themselves. Then the Lord God walking in the garden during the cool part of the day, and the man and his wife hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said, Where are you? The man answered, I heard you walking in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, so I hid. God asked, Who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the fruit of the tree from which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, You gave this woman to me, and she gave me fruit from the tree, so I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, How could you have done such a thing? She answered, The snake tricked me. So I ate the fruit. The Lord God said to the snake, Because you did this, a curse will be put upon you. You will be cursed so no other animal, tame or wild, will ever be. You will crawl on your stomach, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. I will make you and the woman enemies to each other. Your descendants and her descendants will be enemies. One of her, enemy, one of her descendants will crush your head and you will bite his heel. The God said to the woman, I will cause you much trouble when you are pregnant, and when you give birth to children, you will have great pain. You will greatly desire your husband, but he will rule over you. Then God said to the man, You listened to your wife, to what your wife said, and you ate fruit from the tree from which I commanded you not to eat. So I will put a curse on the ground, and you will have to work hard, very hard for your food. In pain you will eat its food all the days of your life. The ground will produce thorns and weeds for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. You will sweat and work hard for your food. Later you will return to the ground because you were taken from it. You are dust, and when you die, you will return to the dust. The man named his wife Eve because she is the mother of everyone who has ever lived. The Lord God made clothes from animal skins for the man and his wife and dressed them. Then the Lord God said, The man has become like one of us. He knows good and evil. We must keep him from eating some of the fruit from the tree of life, or he will live forever. So the Lord God forced the man out of the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. After God forced the man out of the garden... He placed angels and a sword of fire that flashed around in every direction on its eastern border. This kept people from getting to the tree of life. Genesis chapter 3. Thank you, Ross. That's the word of the living God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask that by your Holy Spirit, these next few moments, you would speak to us through your word. Help us to hear you, no matter what the speaker says, and help us to respond to you in love and obedience. And we ask it in the name of the one who died and rose again, in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to talk about what we talk, uh, call the fall this morning. And I want you to realize right there in the beginning in the garden was love's choice. You see, God created us in love to have a loving, loving relationship with him, with him as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He invited us into the community of the Trinity, but he didn't automatically make that happen in creation. That is, human beings were created potentially the dwelling place of God, but not created already complete. So they were created with the potential that God could live in them. 
They were created in love, but love always demands love's choice, love's response. And here in the garden is God's choice to Adam and Eve and his choice to us. Here are the two trees. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You see, first of all, love's promise. The tree of life speaks to us and teaches us about the the desire of God, the divine purpose, the divine intention that God would somewhere, somehow, at some time, give himself to human beings, give his life, his eternal life to them. As we look back at this end of the Bible and look back, we realize this is the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is the gift of eternal life. But this life can only be received if it's responded to in love and faith. And so in the creation of Adam and Eve, the first man and the first woman, they were created potentially the dwelling place of God. But God created us in love and therefore it demanded and needed love's response. And that had to be a real response, not a pretend response. A real response, not a forced response. And so there needed to be a real choice, and there in the garden was the choice. The tree of life, the offer of eternal life, the offer of relationship with God, because life in the Bible is always intimacy with the divine. It's always relationship with the creator who made us. As well as that was the tree, was love's warning, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It was a tree of warning because it was a tree showing human limitation, even though we created in God's image to be God's representatives, to rule and manage this world under his authority, dependent upon him. We had to do it in his strength and within his boundaries. And so here was God's love warning because love always has boundaries. You see, what God was saying is human beings are not capable of themselves in determining what's right and what's wrong. There is no inborn capacity. You have to be given a revelation to know what's right and what's wrong. And therefore, your conscience is affected by the revelation you are given. You don't innately know what's right and what's wrong. And that's why you have to teach your children what's right and what's wrong. And a culture will determine very often what they think is right and what's wrong. And so God was saying, by creation, here is the warning. You need to trust God to know what's right and what's wrong. That's always God's prerogative, determine what's right and what's wrong. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Human limitation. Depend on God. Trust God. He is the only one who can determine and say what's right and what's wrong or what pleases him. And so it's love's warning. When you have children, you learn this real quick. If you really love them, you don't give them total freedom. We, when our boys were smaller, we had a gate and they could play outside, but they had to play in the backyard, not out the front yard. Why? Because if they ran out on the road and somebody's flying down the road at 60 or more, and they were hit by that car, well, that would do them damage. And so love's warning is stay behind the gates and stay in the backyard. Don't go out the front unless you go with mum or dad when they were smaller. And so God, this is God's warning in love to human beings. You cannot determine in your own capacity what's right and what's wrong. You need divine revelation. This is God's area, God's prerogative. And so there was the choice And it's love's choice that we all face. Will we live by faith, trust in what God has said, and obedience to what God has said, and respond in love to that? Or will we choose unfaith and choose to be our own God and make our own decisions about what's right and what's wrong? And God says death will come from that. And notice how this subtle conversation went between Satan disguised as the serpent or the snake trying to cause Adam and Eve to turn away from God because he uses the same tactics today when he tempts you and I. These are the same things that come 
into our hearts. And the first thing is that Satan tries to accuse God of lack of concern and lack of love. And it goes back to, can you really trust what God says? He questions God's truthfulness. He says, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Notice he changes things a little. God didn't say that at all. Do you realize there was only one prohibition? They were to have everything. It's all there. There was just one thing, one tree that they were not allowed to eat. You see, Satan comes along and uh, what is prohibited, he tries to make attractive. And what is allowed, he tries to make plain and uninteresting. He's been doing that for centuries and right back here at the beginning, that's his temptation. But he hits at the heart of it, can you really trust God? God's holding out on you. He promised this tree of life, this potential to be indwelt by God to experience his life, but he's holding back from you. And he questions God, did God really say? Did God really say? Is that what God's really saying? You see, if God loves perfectly, he tells the truth perfectly. And so really sin is a question of love. Will I love God or will I reject God? In the Bible, reject is to hate. To love is to have faith. Will I trust what God says? He says, I can enjoy any tree, just don't eat that one. Notice the next thing that happens. Not only did he question God's truthfulness, but then Eve responds and adds to what God says. You must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, she said, and you must not touch it or you will die. See, God says, just don't eat it. And what God says, we then add to it and try to make it even worse than we thought it was. Or what we didn't like, and very often those religions that would tend to take us away from what God says will add to God's word. Question God's truthfulness, add to God's word, and then deny God's warning. Satan comes and says, certainly you won't die. That's a furphy. And isn't it amazing how very often people, people want to say that? There is no judgment. There is, there is no result of sin. You can do what you like, and it does not matter. You will certainly not die. There is no consequence. There is no judgment. There is no accountability. You're accountable to no one. You don't have to worry about any judgment or any result of what you do. And so we deny God's warning. Notice any Christian religion or any Christian expression that says there is no judgment comes back to the lie of the enemy. Because God, right at the beginning, warned us. If we reject his offer, if we reject his life, the opposite of life is death. Separation from God forever. Be careful to deny God's warning. And then to question God's goodness. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open. Here is Satan hitting again at God's goodness and God's concern for them. God's holding back on you. God knows that when you eat what he's forbidden, when you do what he says don't do, you will experience, you'll have a great experience. Your eyes will be opened. You'll know so much more than you ever knew. And so here is the evil one, and that's what Satan continues to say. God doesn't love you. That's why he's putting these boundaries there. He's trying to keep you from having fun and enjoying life. And so he questions God's goodness and the final lie that he comes in to believe the lie of becoming divine. For God knows that when you eat from, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Don't depend on God. Make your own decisions. Be your own person. And ultimately, this was the pride of Satan. And it is the pride of the human heart. It's saying, I can live independently of God. And that's what sin is, the irrational assertion that a creation, a creature, can live independently of its creator. And that's what sin is. That's the heart of sin. That's the heart of pride. I don't want God to be God. I want, don't want God to determine my life or my future or my behavior 
or my attitude or my actions. I want to determine them myself. I want to decide myself what's right and what's wrong. And so when it comes to the sanctity of life, I'll make up my own decision. When it comes to the sacredness of sex, I'll make up my own decision. I'm my own God, am I not? But the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of evil, the tree of promise and the tree of warning are saying there is human limitation. The prerogative determined right and wrong is God's. You cannot determine that yourself. And you need to rely on the revelation of God. And our consciences are based on what we're taught. You see, I grew up in a culture that not far from us, amongst the Suki people in Papua New Guinea, uh, they thought it was okay to uh, kill people and eat their enemies. Now, if you were brought up in that culture and you were taught that, then you wouldn't think anything wrong with that. That's why my father actually ended up going to Papua New Guinea to be a missionary because um, he had read the story of this guy. I don't know whether you ever read his story, James Chalmers, and he and a few of his mates were eaten by the Papuans. And uh, when Dad read that story, the Spirit of God challenged him to go to Papua New Guinea to tell people about Jesus and, uh, and to follow in the footsteps of James Chalmers. You see, so in that culture, what they were taught, the law was, that's good to do. And our society is trying to bring up different laws of saying what's good to do. But for a Christian, we say we need the revelation of God. That's love's warning. You cannot determine. But here is Satan saying, you can be like God. You can be God. And some religions would even say that. And some religions would say they were Christians would try to say that the ultimate of the Christian life is one day yourself becoming divine and becoming a God. But that's not what the Bible teaches. God's desire is to have a personal relationship with you. He created you as a creature, possible to be indwelt by the Creator through the gift of His Holy Spirit, the gift of eternal life. And that was promised right back at the beginning, right back in the garden with the tree of life. But it had to be a relationship of love. And so there was a real choice given. And there was the other tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And you and I have to face that love's choice even now. Will we choose the tree of life to trust God trust his word, submit our lives to him, receive his forgiveness and his gift of eternal life, or think we can play God, live independently of God, make our own decisions on what's right and wrong and do our own thing. God says this will lead to life and relationship. This will lead to death and ultimate separation. And that's what we call the fall. It had an incredible impact, not only on Adam and Eve, but on their descendants. And we'll see as we come out, the first murder happened with Cain killing his brother. And uh, so alienation came. Adam was alienated from his wife, alienated from, his, from the creation, alienated from God. Death and independence came into the world because they rejected the offer of life from God. The impact was horrific. It brought death and destruction and alienation. Alienation from self and alienation from each other and alienation from the environment. And ultimately where it comes from is alienation from God. It had an incredible impact because they wouldn't submit and live within the boundaries that God had said and wouldn't trust God's word to be true. It reminds me of my youngest son, David, when he was just a little tacker, we had three boys and they were all in the back seat of the car and he was still in one of those kids' seats with the, uh, you know, the straps on. And I think that was the boundary of love uh, to keep him safe as we travelled in the car. But somehow he had got his arms out. I won't do that too much. He got his arms out and we were coming up with our car to our home and I suddenly put the brake on and he came flying out of the back seat between the two of us, front seat, and landed <laughs> underneath 
the Russo so it looked funny but it wasn't funny at the time <laughs> underneath that you know um the uh glove compartment right down in there he just you know I must have put on the brake really hard and he just went he got a fright so did we and uh he realized now why we and I made sure it was a bit tighter probably after that uh, so he couldn't get his arms out it had an impact on him and uh Saying God's boundaries doesn't matter had an impact on you and me and everybody since Adam and Eve. But right there, God made a provision. And we notice the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. For that to happen, there had to be a sacrifice of somebody who hadn't done anything wrong, an animal. And so the picture in the Old Testament, an animal sacrifice was done to cover our sin, a guilt, an innocent victim was slain to provide covering for a guilty sinner. And there, even in Genesis, it was what we call the proto-evangel. There was the, the hint, the promise right back at the beginning that I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. We call it the proto-evangel right there in Genesis. God says, I will deal with Satan and sin one day and a descendant, a seed in one version, a descendant of the woman will crush Satan's head, will defeat Satan and sin and death and Satan will strike his heel. And you can follow that thread and that's what the story of the whole Old Testament is that we're going to look at coming right down to Jesus. And then we'll come to the fact that Jesus is the descendant that is promised here. And on the cross that we're going to remember here this morning, he crushed Satan, had victory over sin and Satan and death as Satan got him crucified on the cross. And we read that in Colossians chapter 2. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. The cross is a victory over sin, but also over Satan and death as he was raised from the dead. So he disarmed them as was promised hundreds, thousands of years before. And so this morning we come to another tree. A tree of life. And because of this tree and what happened on this tree, Christ wants to give us, in place of our sin and rebellion, he wants to give us forgiveness of sins and his righteous life. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. Christ wants to give us a new garment, not a garment of animal skin, but the garment of his pure, holy life. For all those who are baptized, that is, who have put their faith and trust in the one who died and was buried and rose again from the dead and saying, I trust him who died and was buried to wash away my sin and raise me to a new life in the power of the gift of the Holy Spirit. For if by the trespass of one man, talking back to Adam, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? And so we come to the Lord's Supper this morning, realizing that he gave himself for us on the cross, that he might give himself to us. This was always his intention, right back at the beginning in the tree of life. We were created potentially his dwelling place, but he waited for love's response of faith and obedience. Adam and Eve and us, since him, chose the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We don't need to be dependent upon God. We can make our own decisions. We can run our own lives. And so sin and death has come into the world. But God has come in Christ to provide a way for us to be forgiven. And once again, that we can be clothed with his righteousness and make it possible for once again 
his eternal life to be offered and given to us through the gift of his Holy Spirit. And so we come to the tree called Calvary and to love's choice. So as we come to take the bread and the wine this morning, I want to ask you, have you responded in faith and trust to the one who died on that tree, who gave his life in your place for your sin and for your rebellion and has taken the judgment you deserved in order that you can be forgiven and be clothed in his righteous life, his pure and holy life, and receive the gift of eternal life, the gift of himself, the gift of his Holy Spirit. If you haven't, can I invite you this morning as you eat the bread and drink the wine that you in faith say, I receive you by faith this morning. I receive you by faith this morning. I'm going to ask those who are going to wait on us to pass out the bread and the wine. If you're a guest here this morning, you are most welcome to join with us. There's nothing magical about this. The bread reminds us of his body that was broken and hung on the tree and he bore our sins, took our sin and his body on the tree. And the grape juice reminds us of his blood, his life that was poured out for us, given for us that we could have eternal life. What was promised right back at the beginning. But the rejection of that love meant we couldn't receive it. But once again, God has made a way for that to be possible for us. Please take the bread and the cup and just hold on to it and we'll eat and drink in just a moment together. The Bible says this, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through the blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation, if you continue in your faith established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. If you've already responded to God's offer of love, in Jesus and receive the forgiveness of sins and the gift of his Holy Spirit, then will you read this prayer yourself quietly in just a moment as you eat this bread? If you've never responded in love and obedience, may I invite you to do that right now as you eat this bread and quietly read this statement which has been personalized from 1 Peter. He himself bore my sins in his body on the cross so that I might die to sin, be finished with that old life, and live for righteousness, live a new life. By his wounds, I have been healed. If that's your desire, or if that's what's happened to you, then eat with thankfulness and quietly read that statement. Father in heaven, we cannot understand just how much you love us. We do not appreciate the desire you have for us to be part of the community of the Trinity. But we thank you for making it possible. We thank you for the promise at the beginning and we thank you for the offer at the cross. The offer for the forgiveness 
and healing and restoration and fellowship. And as we eat this bread, we want to say thank you for taking our guilt and our shame and our judgment in your body on the tree so that we could have your life, your eternal life. In Jesus' name. Will you take the cup and stand with me in honor of the one who died and rose again? And in just a moment, let's raise our glasses in honor to him and say, Christ is God come in the flesh. Christ died and rose from the dead. Christ ascended and is coming again. Christ is God come in the flesh. Christ died and rose from the dead. Christ ascended and is coming again. Amen. Let's drink. As you stand, just close your eyes. And will you offer yourself again afresh to live and serve the one who loves you and died for you and gave his life for you? Risen Lord Jesus Christ, you are here, and by your Spirit you indwell us. We thank you again for your forgiveness. We thank you again for your presence. And we pray that you'll help us live in a way that honors you till you come for us. In Jesus' name we pray this. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you. Please be seated. sing this last song uh, just remain seated for the initial part while the offering uh, containers come around and uh, if you're a regular here you have that opportunity if you're not a regular feel free to let it pass thank you